Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar, which is brought to you by Chagask in conjunction with our partners, uh, Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food Drink Ireland, Skillnet, and National Rural Network. Uh, this morning, we're joined by Tom Houlihan. Tom is a forestry specialist with Chagas, based in, in Killarney. And Tom will be talking to us about all things forestry, about opportunities to, to bring forestry on, onto the farm, the benefits of doing that, and the ways to potentially go about doing it in the best way for, for individual farms. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, uh, Pat and colleagues. Uh, we're also joined uh, by Catherine. Catherine, uh, you'll be uh, helping us with the, the, the questions l- later on. And Tom, it's uh, a lot has been talked about forestry, increasing our, our, our levels of forestry for climate, for water quality, for, for biodiversity. They have a, a, a significant role in, in all the environmental challenges that we're facing. But the reality is we're, we're, we're not getting huge levels of, of uptake of forestry. Is it possible to change that? Yes, I, I think it is, Pat. But um, there are a few, there are a number of challenges out there that must be met, and also, as you say, opportunities. And I think um, is is partly as well about maybe building confidence um, with landowners and farmers in terms of the the benefits and opportunities and re engaging. Um, and we're looking at the current program coming to an end at the end of two thousand twenty-two, and a new program so hopefully we can get traction and and you know it'll be in, in the benefit of everybody to um to um move towards you know improved um outcomes for forestry okay my presentation today will outline some of the current work carried out within the Togus forestry development department it'll look at options for forest and woodland creation some brief results of interesting recent surveys and a look at the status of the new forestry program and measures proposed in the CAP strategic plan involving integrating trees on the farm. So without any delay, I'll move forward. Uh, Tagus forestry research covers many aspects of the life cycle of a forest from seedling to sawdust. And research is carried out in Tagus research centers, in state-of-the-art laboratories and growing facilities and indeed on private, privately owned farm forests throughout Ireland. And we thank the, those that are contributing. Research topics cover areas such as tree improvement programs, uh, developing genetic resources with tolerance to diseases such as ash dieback and Dutch elm, silviculture of broadleaf species and, and studies into the development of small woodlands on the farm. And we also have Sorry, we also have projects addressing the very relevant area of adaptation to climate change, as you can see on the screen. Um, other research focus areas include forest thinning, both conifer and broadleaf, and looking at the potential of other species. Um, we have got a project on continuous cover systems and looking at transforming spruce forests to continuous cover. And looking at establishment of agroforestry, quite a bit of interest in this agroforestry sites. Part of this project working involves the clearance and transformation of a Nash dieback site 
to agroforestry as a potential option to owners in, in such circumstances. And then looking at areas such as integrated pest management, which is very important. Our in-house research significantly benefits our advisory and training services and allows for effective knowledge transfer. So we provide independent advice for farmers with a focus on land suitability and how a forest enterprise may be sustainably integrated on the farm. And it's supported by a wide range of knowledge transfer events as shown. And not forgetting Togusk uh, in Ballyhays and the, the college in Ballyhays is an important resource that we are also aligned to for the forestry sector. It has provided forestry education since 1988 and offers full-time QQI accredited level five and six courses, short courses, and has been very valuable in hosting national events. So looking at the forest resource, and we have a significant forest resource, which I think can be further harnessed to a great degree to provide multiple benefits for society. And over 11% of our land area is currently under forestry. We have 23,500 private forest owners, the majority farmers who own almost half our overall forest estate. And despite challenges, and we have a strong export-oriented forest product sector, and exports re have reached almost four and a half, sorry, 450 million in recent years. If we think that 80% of global construction wood comes from conifer trees, a secure supply of timber to support our housing needs will be also a strong consideration for the future. Looking at activities such as forest nursery operations, forest establishment, management, and wood utilization provide sustainable employment, mainly in rural areas. And also we can see that forests can complement other farming enterprises and be a developing resource on the farm. So well-planned forests can also provide many ecosystem services, including sites for recreation and landscape features to protect the environment and enhance water quality and biodiversity. So I think the message here is that all forest types appropriately managed have an important role to play in contributing to the range of ecosystem services required by society. And as Pat mentioned, our challenge is to enable that contribution to be fully realized over the period to 2050 and beyond. Just looking at the current forestry program, which has rolled over since 2020, and it's currently in place and available up to the end of this year, it contains 12 grant and premium categories, or we call them GPCs. And just I'm going to show a, a few examples here. Now, on the conifer side, GPC three and four, you can see um, mainly spruce for GPC three and 15% biodiverse species. Um, GPC four is Scots pine. If we look at the broadleaves, we're, we're looking maybe at GPC six, which is oak, GPC eight, which is birch and alder. And then we've got other categories such as native woodland, which is G GPC nine and 10, 
quite a bit of interest in that in, re in recent times. And also GPC 11, agroforestry. And you may have remembered, uh, regular viewers may have remembered uh, a, a previous webinar on agroforestry by the members of the Irish Agroforestry Forum who are promoting different configurations of trees in the farm, including agroforestry. Um, just to introduce um, to you to one or two forest owners, um, who, um, particularly um, we have Cahal and Rita Rodden, who are the current winners of the RDS Chagas Farm Forestry Award. And a couple of minutes of a video here, just to hear their story of how they integrated trees in the farm. My name is uh, Cahal Rudden. Myself and my wife Rita farm here in Tierla Hood, Sedone, County Cavan. We're suckling farmers mainly. We keep thinner some bulls, young bulls. We thinner some under 16 months and uh, forestry as well. I was down at the Ploughing Championships and I realised that when I could get the single farm payment and the forestry payment, I thought to say, this is a no-brainer and, and then you're growing a crop as well. I done the forestry in 2014 because I thought uh, I'd make more ahead than I'd make enough the sucklers. So I'm happy that I done it. Uh, uh, it's doing well for me. I entered the RDS Chagas Farm Forestry Awards uh, mainly because my uh, Chagas Forestry Advisor said that my forest would be okay. I thought it would not be. I thought it wouldn't be good enough. But he, he had, uh, pushed me to go for it, and uh, thankfully I did. I'm a member of the IFA in Cavan, and I am the forestry rep for Cavan probably four or five years. I am also a member of the Northeastern Forestry Group, which covers Loud, Mead, Cavan and Monaghan, and I'm on the management committee. We work closely with Chagas. Uh, we, have, we run events. It's very interesting and you learn a lot about the, the forest and how to look after it. I'm delighted went for it because to get the first prize from on the RDS Chagas Farm Forestry Awards, it was, it was, I was astonished to win it. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I'm delighted to went for it. Our thanks to Cahal and Rita Rodden for their, their involvement in that. And uh, as with Cahal and Rita, uh, forest creation can deliver benefits on your farm. And whether small or large areas are involved, um, setting clear objectives initially and timely planning are really central to success. Uh, the decision to plant, it's a complex decision. Um, and in, basically in engaging with landowners, our Togask advisors address the many aspects and the issues involved, including opportunities and challenges within the forestry sector. And adopting what we call a whole farm planning approach is also essential when assessing the options for forestry and integrating on the farm. So this requires analysis of how planting land may interact with farm enterprise combinations farm schemes, supports, and future succession planning. For example, the capacity for forest parcels to also retain the basic payment subject to eligibility conditions is a key fa factor and, fa and financial benefit. And based on Article 4 
of the CAP strategic plan regulation, forestry will, subject to meeting certain conditions and future approval, be eligible for direct payments interventions under the CAP strategic plan. So just looking ahead, I, I, I said that the current program um, continues until the end of 2022, looking at the new forestry program, which will run to 2023 to 2027. It's currently being developed and will be fully aligned with and supporting a new forest strategy being developed under Project Woodland. So there will be more details forthcoming in the coming weeks. Currently, there's bilateral meetings which have commenced and there will be stakeholder workshops. There will also be a strategic environmental assessment and appropriate assessment consultation on the forest strategy and the program to the wider public. Um, and the sequence then will be uh, state aid approval will be sought from the commission later in the year. And the new program will be due to be launched in January 2023 with a rollout of remaining schemes during, that, during the next year. This slide here, the results of a national survey of attitudes to afforestation in Ireland, comprising over a thousand people, was commissioned by the Minister of, of State, Pippa Hackett's department, as part of Project Woodland's work to develop Ireland's next national forest strategy. And the survey found uh, very positive attitudes in general to forestry, Respondents said the most important benefits of forestry were how they addressed climate change. You can see the figures on the slide, how they enhanced water quality, contributed to wildlife and biodiversity, and supported mental health. And overall, 88% of those surveyed said they thought forests and woodlands benefited their local communities. There was 72% favoured planting um, broadly and conifer trees in new forests, 17% favoured mainly broadleaves, while 11% opted for conifers as their favoured. And three out of four people in favour of planting more forests, um, as well as trees in urban areas. Just finally, a couple of more figures, 58% of people who had visited a forest in the past year with exercise and recreation cited this as their key visit driver. And 57% said they visited woodlands more since the COVID-19 pandemic began compared to previous times. And the photo here in the top corner shows one of a series of successful forest walks held recently around the country, which highlights the potential of our forests to support health and well-being by taking some time out, getting close to the nature, to the sights, sounds, and nat natural aromas and delights of our forest resource. Tom, a quick query for you, a question for you on that. Yep. That survey was with uh, the general public rather than with the farming community, was it? It was the general public, yeah. Just right. general attitudes to forestry. Yeah. So it is over a thousand uh, people across the country. So, and that, and Pat, the, that slide, I suppose, highlighted the identification of climate change as a key benefit of our forests in the, in, in the survey. So this slide highlights the important sequestration pathways that our forests and their products can provide if this capacity can be harvested. And all productive forest types can play a critical role in taking carbon out of the atmosphere 
and incorporating it in its biomass as they grow, which we call sequestration. That's one pathway. The long-term storage of carbon in harvested wood products represents a well-recognized and very important pool outside of the forest. And we use HWP as the, the abbreviation. Another pathway is substitution of fossil fuels with wood energy, which come from sustainably managed forests. It's a, it's a carbon mitigation opportunity. And there are good examples around the country of significant fossil fuel displacement. And a further area which is getting a lot of international attention is the substitution of wood products for energy intensive materials such as concrete and steel. And there are um, very good examples there, for example, in Norway and the 85 meter building. A couple of words on, on, on multiple applications of wood and it's a natural, high versatile and attractive building material and its low energy production process and its capacity to lock away carbon makes it a popular choice in a growing number of, of uh, countries. Coford analysis shows that wood products contribute to reducing the life cycle emissions of buildings through a number of processes, low embedded carbon dioxide equivalent, carbon sequestration and storage, and the substitution effects where wood grown in Irish forests can substitute more carbon intensive building materials while at the same time supporting local employment. At the moment, house building in Ireland is mostly low rise with timber frame accounting for just over 20%, which is low by European standards. And Crawford analysis shows that increasing the use of timber frame and adopting new engineered wood technologies, such as cross laminated timber for higher rise applications has the potential to reduce emissions by up to almost three and a half million tons by 2050. Again, this, I'm just, this is a reminder here, it was probably covered in previous um, webinars, but it's looking at the whole idea of woodlands as benefits for water and native woodlands adjacent to watercourses, which we term riparian woodland, can offer a mechanism to protect suitably um, located but vulnerable water bodies from threats such as nutrients and sediments as overland flows. And this overall feature may, in suitable and targeted areas, be an option to protect watercourses by breaking the pathway from the source of nutrients or sediment before they can reach the receptor water body. And I understand that a riparian native woodland initiative is under development, which could provide incentive for the use of this measure in appropriate areas and support enhanced water quality goals in the context of varying adjoining land uses. So on the 5th of April last, enabling legislation was signed into law, which introduces an exemption for new forest creation in certain circumstances. And this facilitates the exclusion of clearly defined activities from requiring an afforestation license up to one hectare in area. So it is envisaged that this can help to expand existing native woodlands, create new areas, play a significant role in contributing to riparian margin planting and have a positive role on biodiversity and water quality. And the development of such a scheme will also take into account 
the outcome of a strategic environmental and appropriate assessments and eligibility criteria will be incorporated into the scheme to ensure that all tree planting works are undertaken in a compliant and sustainable manner. The following couple of slides present initial results from a very relevant and current PhD project, which is investigating farmer attitudes, perceptions, and willingness to plant trees and adopt agroforestry practices by Walsh scholar Rachel Irwin, which is supported by Togusk and UCD as partners. And this, the survey and project uses a qualitative elicitation study based on interviews with 33 farmers and also a quantitative study based on online questionnaires with up to 395 dairy and dry stock farmers um, partaking. So a sincere thanks is extended to the authors for making just the initial results available. If we look at the intention to plant trees in the future, farmers' attitude, which is informed by behavioral beliefs, and you can, you can see the type of, of statements, in my opinion, planting trees on my farm is good for the environment through sequestering carbon and protecting wildlife. And also another element of outcome evaluation. I think it's important to plant trees on my farm to increase my income. So attitude had a, had a direct effect on intention, which wouldn't be surprising. And also moral norms, is, is it good and proper to plant trees? Um, also had a direct effect on the intention to plant trees in the future. If we delve a bit deeper and a step further, um, and we look at what's termed subjective norms, these are the effect, for example, of imparted influential people. They were shown also to directly affect both attitude and moral norms. And subjective norms would be informed by normative beliefs, such as the people whose opinion I value would want me to plant trees in the farm, and also the motivation to comply. So planting trees on my farm is up to me. So if we, if we just look at these um, subjective norms and, and look at one of the results slides, with regard to these subjective norms, this slide shows a scaling of influential people as selected by participants during the study. It should be noted that participants were able to select one or more options from the list on the table. We see that family members, other farmers, and close friends are high up on this table in terms of being influential people. And Togusk is also prominent. And mid-range in the table would be policymakers and forestry companies. And you can see the list down along. So interesting results there in terms of influences that affect attitude. And the final results slide indicates participants' intention with regard to location of trees for planting. And again, participants could select one or more options according to their preferences. And again, interesting locations along field boundaries had the highest frequency. This was followed by marginal or less productive lands. Also, locations along watercourses and in forestry parcels which provides some interesting insights. We can see that 
the percentage, uh, the lowest percentage was 11%, which had no intention to plant trees on, on their farm over the next number of years. So the final couple of slides will endeavor to give a flavor of proposed tree planting measures within the draft strategic plan, both for pillar one eco schemes and pillar two, the agri-climate rural environmental scheme. And it must, must be stressed that practices or measures outlined in these slides are subject to agreement with the European Commission. And the new CAP strategic plan is structured around the achievement of three general objectives as set out in the EU legislation. So just looking briefly at, at eco scheme, which is funded under pillar, pillar one, and it's, the eco scheme is mandatory for member states, but it will be voluntary for farmers and farmers will be able to opt in and out annually and may opt to change practices annually as well. So in terms of tree planting schemes for e tree planting related measures for eco scheme, um, under agriculture practices four, sorry, one, which is space for nature, it is proposed that forests and woodlands can contribute towards eligibility, but the extent and the criteria are under current negotiation. And for Proposed agriculture practice four, which involves planting of native trees and hedgerows. Um, planting of such species on farms promotes our native biodiversity, enhances associated population of flora and fauna, and a wide range of ecological benefits, food, shelter, breeding sites, and a minimum of tree, native trees or one meter of hedgerow is proposed to be planted for each hectare per, per annum. But again, as I say, these are under negotiation. If we look briefly at the proposed measure for the agri-environmental scheme, and it's called ACRES, the, the general measure has a tiered structure, three tiers, and to qualify for tier one, applicants must commit to completing mandatory actions relevant to priority environmental assets under holding. Again, I won't dwell on these, but they are listed on the slide. Just moving to tier two under general measures, farmers who plant land um, can have a, 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 an entry point here. So farmers whose land include a vulnerable water area may apply for scheme access under tier two and applicants may be considered under tier two if he or she is a participant in the native woodland scheme or GPC 11 agroforestry at the time of application or indeed if he or she adopts at least one of the proposed tree planting actions. That's tier two. Just a, a quick snippet on tier three, which are tree related actions and all other farmers who undertake a range of appropriate actions selected from a list of general um, actions to address local and farm specific environmental priorities. Um, and I'm focusing on these tree related uh, actions. So that's planting trees in rows, groups or parkland which can create new habitats. Planting trees in riparian buffers is a, a second action. A third proposed action is tree belt for ammonia capture at a farmyard level. And the fourth action is traditional orchard, again, which would have been included in previous agri-environmental schemes. Finally, just a plug at this stage for the latest RDS Forestry and Woodland Awards, their Irish uh, national awards, which they've been recently launched and they're open for entry up to July the 31st. 
We've seen the most recent winners as Cahal and Rita Rodden, and there are three categories to select. The Tagus Sponsored Farm Forestry Award, Production Forestry and Community Awards. Very attractive prizes for each category. The winner getting €2,000 and an RDS Silver Medal and Perpetual Trophy, with the runner-up getting an, a €1,000 and Certificate of Merit. And application forms are available at the RDS uh, contacts shown there, with also information available on our website. I would just like to re remind viewers of the range of advisory supports from my dedicated colleagues in Tagus who cover significant adv advisory areas around the country. And this work is supported and un underpinned by our hardworking research staff. And there are plenty of ways to keep in touch. So I'll finish it at Pat and um, thank, thanks everybody for tuning in and listening. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, very interesting, and and I suppose what you're seeing, what we're seeing, is a, a variety of of possible ways of of entering forestry now coming down the line in the various the various schemes, and and I suppose some very positive uh, outcomes of some of the, the the survey work that was done there. Um, and I suppose one of the question that uh, particularly the second survey begs, where uh, I think it was. Uh, was it only 11% said they, they don't see themselves uh, uh, planting trees? What are the issues there? Is it more now about uh, promoting the, the options that are there and getting rid of some of the, the what are seen as the barriers to, to, to forestry? What are the, the priorities from a policy point of view to try and, and get those 89% to actually get some forestry onto their land? I, yeah, I suppose there, there, I suppose there's a range of, of um, options there, I think just certainly peer-to-peer um, -peer learning is, is quite an important way if people see forestry being successfully implemented or tree planting on the farm and, and it can enhance the farm environment as well as creating other core benefits. I think that's an important way. Uh, so there is an engagement process and of course we know there are challenges um, in terms of uh, we'll say the, the licensing process and what everybody's looking for is to optimize the flow of licenses through the approval system to meet um, stakeholders' needs while also ensuring that due, due process is there. Um, so um, I think, I think it, there, there's a, a, a number of tracks you know, to be um, engaged and to follow to ensure that um, people are aware and at, at least when they're aware of the options and the benefits that they can maybe make informed decisions. Catherine, significant questions yeah. coming in again to remind people to and use Pat, the question and answer. Yeah, and Pat, just following on there from, from Rachel Irwin's, your comment about Rachel Irwin's um, a very interesting survey. I suppose the only slight concern from a biodiversity point of view is the 40% who want to plant on marginal land, which again is being recognised now as having a, 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 a value and will be, you know, a rewarded uh, more in the new in, in the future for from a, from a grassland undisturbed. No, it depends what type we're talking about. But I know it's a tough one, Tom. But it's just following on there from. Yeah, I think that was it. Was probably a a, a, a general uh, one. Like we are aware there's different um, demands on on our land. Um, we're fully aware of that, and we're aware that there are sensitive habitats out there. And I think everybody's interested in, in protecting the very sensitive habitats. 
but just, I suppose, a, a balanced approach, probably um, maybe a, a fair assessment on that, that, you know, we, we, we have demands in our land and maybe, I know there's a land use uh, review currently um, being underway and maybe getting, like, getting balance in terms of the ecological, the environmental and the um, economic um, characteristics of land types and how best we can optimize land use. And I think forestry is an important resource to keep in mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I suppose, and it's just a case of not, not keeping the water, climate, biodiversity all, at least not harming each other, isn't it? Yeah. Um, maximizing the ecosystem services. And there, right, as, I, right I suppose, place, as, as I hear you saying so often. Yeah, as I showed on, I suppose, on some of the slides, that uh, there, are, there are actually measures that can be implemented to help in a, a lot of those types Absolutely, of, correct. Yeah. yeah. And again, I, I mean, the first question that came in there, I think, if I understand it right, but it's a question about the supply of uh, current Irish tree nurseries. Is it adequate to meet the supply of the needs today and the increase we're aiming for? Are there any farm tree specific nurseries? Now, I'm not sure if that questioner was was asking about um, native and Irish provenance, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll handle it now, Tom, if you if you have a comment on that. Uh, yeah. The tree nurses generally, from your point of view, and I don't know if they're, but I'm asking specifically about the Irish provenance there as well. Yeah, and just first to say that it, it, it like for these types of schemes on the farm, it's very desirable to have Irish provinces, and really, I, I think it's important to have them. But um, and there will be different nurseries out there at different scales. Um, I think probably for all of them, it's important to have. Um, th there is certainly a lead in time, on at nursery level to source the seed and develop the, the propagating material. Um, and, and because of uncertainties, I think up to now, maybe there, there, is, there is maybe a, a lag there. Now I can't say that for every nursery, but they need some time to develop um, their, the resources that they can supply for future schemes. That, that would be my feeling on it. Totally agree. And we need to support them on that, Tom. And support because, definitely is needed, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And just to say that there's a, uh, there is a list on the website, on Woodlands of Ireland website, of trees that do Irish provenance. Um, moving on then, the, an issue, the, the biggest issue with forestry and the unwillingness of most farmers to plant is the replanting clause. When will this issue be addressed? Um, yeah, and I think it, it, I highlighted it on the on the, one of the slides there, where the the, the landowners looking at the decisions um, in front of of of, of them. Um, at the the current situation is that there is a, a, a replanting obligation. So somebody is committing land to forestry, um, that that there is a requirement under the Forestry Act to replant uh, subsequent crops of, of trees. Now, it's not for Togus to decide, but it is a policy decision. Um, we do get feedback on it, certainly that, you know, that people would prefer some flexibility there, but it is a policy decision and Togus really can't influence that. Well, I keep going, Pat. Um, I keep going. How do we promote uh, your, your good initiatives with youth, uh, you know, 10 to 18 of Ireland to appreciate is it possible to do it, it to do it with transition year students as youth leaders to promote real sustainable climate change and remove carbon in Ireland? So the youth, how do we address them, encourage them, inspire them? Yeah, I, I think I think it's really it's really important. That's a, that's a great point. That um, if we if we develop interest levels, really we have to start um, with the youth in, at a young age. And I know 
firstly, I'll say from a target's perspective, my colleagues would have regular engagements um, at, at school level as well as third level. No, we have limited resources, so we can't do that indefinitely. But I, I know that um, the department are supporting a range of woodland support projects um, over the last year or so, and that is ongoing. And a number of those projects are dedicated to interacting with young people, with schools, and actually bringing them out to the forest location, um, which I think is a great way of, of getting, getting the message out. Um, so I think that is a really important one. Um, there's other projects like there's there's going to be a woodland festival um, as part of that woodland support initiative um, up in Roscommon coming up fairly soon as well. So people could look out for that. It's a it's a very um, enjoyable and informative day out looking at the whole ambit of forestry from seeds to seed to sawdust. Lovely. Um... Yeah, and obviously there's other players other than Chagask in, in the schools. Definitely, side. yeah. Still definitely. We're, we're, we can influence them. Uh, why is there such great difficulties with harvesting mature wood when there is such great demand for it in building? Um, yeah, that's a, a valid question. And as, as I've said, um, Project Woodland is in place to address the... Uh, there has been licensing issues and there there is some issues there. Progress is made, but as I've said, there is a need to have an optimum flow of, of licensing, including harvesting, as well as planting, um, to meet stakeholders' needs. But I think that work is progressing, um, but there, there's more to be done, I think, in it as well. Okay. Is there any scheme to promote landowners to preserve old established woodlands? Um, yes. Um, under the current programme, there's a, a woodland conservation scheme. So it's kind of a, a sister scheme to the Native Woodland Creation Scheme. So there, there is funding and support there at the moment for people will we'll, we'll say with Native Woodland on their holding, if they wish to um, conserve that. And a lot of the time, one of the key measures would be to exclude stock and browsing animals so that this type of woodland can get a chance to start regenerating. And as I've seen in the Killarney area in the past, um, where stock and browsers are excluded, that can be a huge turnaround um, in a short period of time in terms of natural regeneration getting a chance to go through. So there is funding there in terms of grant aid, and I think up to now it's been seven years of, of premium under the Native Woodland Conservation Scheme. And Tom, you would recommend anybody to contact the, the local Chagas advisor Chuck yeah, our, our, our advisors, which were, were on the, the map that I showed towards the end of the presentation, um, they're, they're, as I said, they're based around the regions and they can provide a lot of advice for owners and there is a limited capacity to do uh, visits as well, you know, but, um, you know, we, we'll provide every support we can in terms of um, owners, in terms of giving them the information maybe that can help inform decision making. Was a related question, Tom, is, is I know you're doing some research on, on continuous cover forestry. Where is that research going? And is there a prospect there for, I suppose, avoiding the, the, the full clear fell in, in our management systems going forward? Yeah, um, the, the project on transforming, we'd say, for example, sometimes we think of continuous cover as maybe referring to broadly species, but it can refer to any species, the project on on 
converting Sitka spruce to continuous cover um, is being implemented on a number of sites um, and pro providing quite, quite interesting results. Um, just to make the point, I suppose, that it may not be suitable for all sites. And um, there has to be, I suppose, a, a an appropriate approach there. But on sites would have maybe high exposure or older crops, it's going to be a lot more challenging and might be more suited to, to you know, the appropriate sites. But um, it, it, there has been some training initiatives out, out of that as well. And also there is a current continuous cover scheme that forest owners can avail of. And hopefully that will be continued into the new program. Okay, Catherine. Yeah, one of the climate change mitigation initiatives is to re-wet grasslands on organic soils. Would tree planting or forestry be a viable alternative on already drained farmland? How does it compare for climate, for carbon? Um, I think our colleague, Dr. Gary Lanigan, um, outlined fairly clearly that um, we'll say some, some of the peatland soils that are currently emitting quite a, a large volume of carbon um, can benefit from um, management of water table. Um, and that will definitely will be appropriate on, on maybe on the on some of the more suitable peats for, for that measure. Um, forestry can also be considered on, on, on certain peat types. Um, again, there is a sequestration. Um, there is a sequestration capacity by forest on peat. There may be a bit some emission as well in terms of depending on the, the peat type and the actual the drainage requirements of it. So that would be more site specific. Yeah, I think I think I, uh, quoting from Gary, there, there are a, a lot of peatland sites where I suppose forestry went in that it probably wasn't uh, particularly appropriate. And I think there will be less focus on, on forestry in those areas because what you're trying to do is, is raise the water table to protect the carbon that's, that's there in, in the soils and in the peatland. Uh, and if you put forestry in, in effect, what you're doing is, is the roots of the, the trees provide a, a drainage. So you're bringing down the, the water table again and leading to a situation where in, in a lot of cases where you have high emissions. So I think, in fact, it's not going to be a, a, a broad solution to put forestry into those, but, but more to, to revert or to keep them uh, and, and uh, protect the, the peatland nature of those of those sites and maybe more you know maybe site specific that maybe certain situations I think you know we'll say native woodlands could, could have could have a, a positive influence but again it'll depend on the situation and depend on the peat type and related to that for either of you is there current tools available to calculate the the value of carbon in trees and hedges on farms um, we have a, a forest carbon tool. Um, which is available on the Chagas website. And I showed some of the 12 grant and premium categories that are currently available for, under the current program. And the tool can allow users to select an, um, the grant and premium category and the soil type um, and give an indication of the annual sequestration and the cumulative sequestration capacity for the different grant and premium categories and also species groups and that carbon tool um, 
will be subject to review as you know any new information comes available. So it'll be updated on a periodic basis. Um, for for hedgerow, um, for measuring carbon hedgerows, and maybe Pat might know here as well. But I know that Dr. Lilian Sullivan um, is close to com completing a farm carbon project, which has been measuring the carbon above and below, below ground in in uh, hedgerows and in the soils and. I think the results are not too far away, if I'm right in that, Pat. Well, Catherine was out with Lillian last week in, 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 in service training, you know, so you might have a better insight on, on it, Catherine. Yeah, she has superb work on, on kind of um, estimating the value of carbon from, from hedges. Uh, I think it has to be put together into the national map to, to go with Stuart Green's work on the, the length of hedges. But it, basically what I got from her was that, you know, dense hedges and volume is important. So it, it ties in 100 percent to my uh, management practices. But as with regard to a figure overall, um, not. And she always stresses it's change that matters. It's change in, in stocks. I think that that ties in with what you do. Um, can I come back to another question from Northern yep. Ireland? Interested in the ambition to use tree planting to mitigate ammonia emissions. Um, can either of you say something about the science underpinning this? Um, well, maybe my limited knowledge, if I put my hand up and say that, um, okay, um, tree species in particular, tree species can be very good at actually, um, they can scavenge the nitrogen coming off um, from ammonia emissions and, and um, be, be quite useful. Um, and it has been has been used to an extent. There, there is certainly some, um, there is research available. I'm thinking of, uh, I think Beasley et al, 2014, have, have published papers and there, there's others there. Um, the idea would be that um, downwind of, of maybe if you have a housing facility, downwind of that, that you have an appropriate formation of, of trees that can actually take up and properly structured can take up quite a bit of uh, em emissions coming off. Um, I know that, for example, look, looking in Scotland, they recommend, we'll say, a, a, an, an edge barrier of, of conifers and then more openly spaced trees with, with inside that between it, the barrier and the building itself. But I, I think there's probably need to have a look if this is coming in from an Irish perspective, like what are the best formations there based on best practice and based on existing research. Okay, um, well done in the presentation. I wonder about the proposal to use Irish timber softwoods for construction. Irish softwoods are fast grown and are and of a much inferior quality than trees grown in Baltic and Nordic countries. Should we look at different species that would be of better quality? No, I, 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 I would certainly refute that. I think we're producing very good timber here. And if you think of it, um, in recent times, up to 80% of our, our timber is going abroad and is fully acceptable and it's been subject to grading, stress grazing, vi uh, visual grading, and it's meeting the requirements. And a lot of our timber is going into the UK market, no problems whatsoever. And if we look at it, you know the whole work that's been going on, I'm thinking of um, Dr. Annette Hart in, in, uh, in Galway working on the potential we'd say also for cross laminated wood, which I refer to in the presentation, there's huge potential there. So we can use uh, small pieces of individual wood and make it hugely stronger 
um, through cross lamination and, and other engineering uh, processes. So I think there's no fear there whatsoever. A criticism of forestry advisors focusing on Sitka spruce and not considering uh, native or broadleaves. Is there a? Is it all down to money, Tom? Are you saying there somebody has a? Has I don't, a had, well, one one example. Okay. I'd say. Yeah. But, well, look. You know, um, the general point: Are we yeah. too focused on? Okay, and I know I think if you if you look back through my presentation, just as, as an example, I, I think I'm trying to get a very balanced approach here. If you look behind me, you see a nice birch woodland that, that's growing in Tipperary. Um, I, 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 would, I wouldn't say that whatsoever, because um, at the end of the day, um, and if we looked at the video of Cahill, Cahill and, and Rita, what, what they have done and what a lot of owners have done in Ireland, they're looking at the financial side of things, which is a necessity, but also they've put in other species like oak, they've, they've mixed species, and that, that's happened quite a, a lot around the country. Um, so there is an awareness by owners that, you know, the environmental side as well. I think Sitka spruce has its place, and I think it's going to be very necessary. As I said, people probably don't realize that if we are building um, and make, meeting the ambitions of our um, requirements for the next um, decade um, in terms of housing. 80% um, of the timber used in housing is coming from conifer crops. So I think there is a need maybe to have definitely have the right tree in the right place, but I think we need to have a balance. And if we look at other countries, they take an approach where there is conservation forestry, there's productive forestry, and there's also a, a matrix of maybe conservation with some timber production. And I'm just thinking of the Canadian triad model um, where, where they use that. So I, I don't think, you know, there's a need to focus on, on all um, different types of options. But at the end of the day, our remit would be to provide the range of options and the, rain, the range of, of uh, issues for owners. And what we try and do is let owners make informed decisions. Yeah. Um, are payments to farmers on a yearly basis for the duration of the growing period or until harvested or how long do payments last? This is, this is I, I presume, the forestry premiums. Yeah, yeah, I assume so, yeah. So, okay, so within the current programme, um, there was grant aid available to cover the majority or all of the costs of establishing a forest. And the, the grant separate, is separate from the premiums. The grant is paid in two stages, three quarters after planting, another quarter after four years of successful establishment. But the annual premium payment starts from year one and we would be paid annually up to year 15. And the premiums would be income tax free, but subject to um, with the likes of the, the USC and, and PRSI. Um, can you care to comment on how can exceptional exceptional small-scale projects like the ENA EIP, which is focused on riparian native tree planting to improve water quality and biodiversity in the upper ENA river catchment in Clare, be incorporated into new acres uh, post-2023 and how lessons can be learned. Um, how, so I suppose, Pat, that's maybe more one for you about how um, good small-scale projects yeah, and I suppose that's that's the purpose of those small scale uh, uh, 
EIPs and we've, we've a significant number of the, the longer term ones and, and some of the shorter term ones uh, and how we, we incorporate them both into, uh, I suppose, the agri-environmental schemes like, like Acres and the, 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 forest, the various forestry schemes and try and make sure that we have consistency between those schemes, but also how we use them to, to learn what is best practice at, at, at local level and try and influence farmers with what can uh, be best for, for environmental outcomes. Uh, and I, I think the importance of, of the, the, uh, those EIPs has been recognised and will be extended in the, uh, and increased resources to those in the, in, the, in the new cap. But it is very important. And you've done, I think, quite a bit of work in, in this space as well yourself in terms of bringing together the learnings from those EIPs so that uh, uh, people can see what uh, of merit can come from those into those broader schemes. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly why, why I commented on it, because I think, you know, it's it's our role to promote, you know, this fantastic work goes on and doesn't get out to the general public. And that's very much, as you say, Pat, our role and my role. So uh, what Tom, just a quick one there for urban areas in particular, is there any native species of trees which would be more favourable for planting and retaining in urban areas? Um, well, I, Catherine, maybe close to your heart, I'm thinking of some of the um, I know they plant, um, you know, they plant certain species in urban areas, but I, I'm thinking of, again, it'll depend on the, the amount of space available and the type of, of, of um, planting uh, land that, that will be there. But I'm thinking of, we'll say, we, we, and probably if I had time, I'd have put in uh, another slide on trees suitable for pollinators. And I think that that's very important. And if we, if we think of, of, of species um, like, um, mountain ash, like crab apple. Um, um, if, if we moved uh, slightly away from the urban area, then we're looking at uh, uh, willows, which are exceptional for supporting insects, 266 insects. Their white flowers are available for pollinators um, in, this, in the early springtime when other flowering plants aren't there. Um, the, the likes of white thorn and black thorn supporting over 100 insect species and their flowering uh, in May, um, again, is, is really important. And I think um, I was actually going to mention it. I think we need to, you know, and there's more capacity to build, build in um, tree resources on farms and other areas to help the pollinators as well. Tom, just one maybe final question because our time is running out, but the, a, a kind of a key question there, will, will forest owners face a conflict between producing commercial timber and achieving strong positive environmental uh, uh, outputs or impacts? No, I, I don't think so at all, Pat, because um, we'd say if you, if you look at a, a, a forest crop, timber crop that's been developing um, over time, um, if we look at, we'll say operations such as opening up the crop in a tinning um, practice um, will help bring in some more biodiversity. It, it must be remembered as well that uh, um, for quite a number of years, all new timber crops incorporate 15% uh, open area, 15% uh, uh, um, which also includes, we'll say retained habitat, um, edge, um, future access routes. So there's, there's what we call areas for biodiversity enhancement, and they also incorporate at least 15% broadleaves. I'm not sure what the ambition will be in, in the next program, but we can actually implement measures within existing forests as well that will help 
um, in, in, in terms of the overall biodiversity. So I don't see conflicts. I can see um, commercial and other forests living happily together as long as they're well planned and sustainably managed. OK, I think we're going to have to leave it there. There were a number of other questions uh, and, and a number of other comments thanking you for the, the clear presentation and a couple of invites, I think, there maybe for, for further talks that you, we might follow up on. So uh, thanks very much, Tom, for, for your presentation. Thanks, Catherine, for, for the, the, the questions. Uh, next week, uh, we have uh, Donald Patton, and Donald is a farm manager in uh, Ballyhays College. Uh, and you may have seen we have an open day coming up in Ballyhays College, but Donald will be talking about a, a key issue of reducing the nit nitrate surplus on intensive dairy farms. So with that, and thanks to Yvonne and, and uh, Mar and, and Andy Boland, we'll leave it for, for this week. Hope to see you next week. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.